You're listening to the Native Plants Healthy Planet Podcast, presented by Pinelands Nursery. Here are your hosts, Fran Chismar and Tom Knezic. Welcome back to the Native Plants Healthy Planet podcast presented by Pinelands Nursery. I am Fran Chismar. And I'm Tom Knezic, and welcome to episode 142, which we have a, a recurring guest today, Fran. Yeah, I like that. We don't do that too often. There's not. We we talk about it a lot, and we get requested to do it a lot to revisit some of the guests that we've had on, but uh, we there's so many things we want to talk about <laughs> that are new that, um, that we end up not going back that often. But we are today, and that's a good thing, because today we have Sam Hoadley, uh, who was originally on episode 68. Wow, that's that long ago. Yeah, and so Sam, you're the the trial garden manager for Mount Cuba Center, which has a major focus on native plants. Um, and you guys just did something new. In fact, I have it sitting right here in front of me. I have your, I got it in the mail the other day, so I have your. Uh, Frank, can you see it? Too, I though? do. You know, it's funny because we just we just redid our offices over the weekend, and I found my hydrangea one. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. Yes. But we like have the I, the new uh, Carex uh, trials for the Mid Atlantic report. I had it sitting right next to this bottle of <laughs> what's a <laughs> cactus, cactus, juice? cactus juice snops that was uh. given to me. Someone pulled it out of their parents' liquor closet. But yeah, maybe we have a shot later. So and this is just where it ended up. But yeah, um, yeah no, we're excited to talk about this. We've already gotten a lot of questions about it, both from the sales side of things where friends answer on the phone because people are interested in, in carrots because they saw this report come out and then podcast listeners too, where they're going online and sharing this report and saying, Hey, I'd love to learn more about this stuff. So, and sometimes it's tough to digest all that, just looking through the report because there's a lot of information. So this way, maybe we can narrow it down a little bit and give, give some of the highlights, some of the things you need to know and, and spread the excitement about this. So I thought it'd be great. Like we kind of gave you an introduction, but if you could just remind our listeners about who you are, what your role is in Cuba, and the mission of the Trial Gardens. Sure. Um, well, first of all, thank you both very much for having me back. It's it's always a pleasure. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm Sam Hoadley. I, I manage the Trial Garden here at Mount Cuba Center, um, where we're kind of we're evaluating native plants um, from two perspectives, um, which ties directly back to our mission where we want to inspire people by the beauty and value of native plants, um, hopefully inspire people to become conservators themselves in their home landscapes by planting natives. Um, it's a great way for you to become a conservator yourself. Um, but we think about the beauty of native plants as their ornamental qualities. We're evaluating, you know, are these tough plants? Are they attractive garden plants in the mid-Atlantic region? Which plants would a homeowner be successful with if they were to choose, um, especially if they were top-performing plants from our trials? Um, and then we're also looking at the value of native plants, which is, um, we interpret that as the wildlife value um, and specifically pollinator value, which we've looked at um, in several of our past trials, including wild hydrangea um, and echinacea, including several others. Um, we're still, we're actually currently looking at um, the same kind of question with goldenrods and iron meats currently. Um, but yeah, so we're kind of, we're focused on both of those perspectives and we're running uh, trials on native plants. Um, we generally have four trials running at any given time and trials can range anywhere from three to five years, depending on if they're an herbaceous perennial, generally three years and woody plants. We've generally been doing about a five year process for that. So when you think of native plants, I'm trying to think of a way to phrase this. Like you think of hy- hydrangeas can be very sexy or, or echinacea <laughs> and now we're talking about carrots, which 
in in the trade, you know, they're very useful and they have their purpose, but not a lot of people get very excited about. Yeah. Uh, what was behind going into Carex uh, and making that a choice when you think of all these other flowering plants that have pollinator – like higher value pollinator uh, status? What what was the choice to say, hey, we should really look at Carex? Yeah, so I mean as you mentioned with hydrangea and like with echinacea and some of our previous trials, it's very easy to promote those plants. They're colorful. They're attractive. Everyone wants one in their garden. Um, and I think uh, we're in this unique position where we can kind of be champions for the under underappreciated plants or plants we think should be utilized more. Um, and in addition to that, if we can add something to the conversation, if we can add more information or make things more user-friendly, um, that's something we really want to do as well. And I think carrots fit into that, that category of needing that champion and also needing a little bit more information so that people can make good informed decisions when using them in their home landscape. There's a lot of Carex out there, and I think sometimes it can be overwhelming um, about where to start, where, how do I use these things, how versatile are they. Um, and that's another thing we wanted to highlight. Carex are incredibly adaptable and versatile, and we wanted to showcase that as well and just really promote them as a garden plant, That and there really is a Carex for every home landscape. And, and when, you, when you think of when when we're looking at restorations, they're almost a part, with the exception of of salt marsh, they're a part of almost every restoration and a very important part in large quantities. And when you talk about the amount of species, yeah, I mean they range from permanent inundation to to high and dry. They kind of cover the whole spectrum, right. but there's right. so many, and some of them are so close. It's hard to, I my identification, you know, I may be good on three or four, you know, and then sure. then <laughs> yeah. it's. And but that's good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, and it's 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 a lot. It's it's something that's very important, but we never look deeper into it. We know they're there, and and it mm-hmm. needs to be a part of it. So, given the excitement of past trials, before we get into the meat and potatoes of the trial, what sure. what are some of the the reception to to the results of this trial? Now that it's it's out in the world, what has been some of the feedback? People are overwhelmingly excited about it. Um, I think we've had probably the most positive response just as an organization um, to this to this research report in comparison to some of our past reports. And we've always had good responses and people are excited, um, but we've been getting lots of feedback about the CARICS report. Um, and we have uh, classes uh, coming up. I'm teaching a class next Wednesday um, on February 1st um, that is filling up quickly. I think it has the most um, class registrants of a class that we've we've put out there. Um, which is really exciting, and it's just it's great to see that there is that excitement. People are into carrots; they want to know more. Um, yeah, we would hope that there would be that excitement, but but you never know. Um, and we're really really excited to see that um, see the reality kind of match that that hope and expectation. Well, without connecting the dots, we started getting calls immediately, and and we're wholesale to the trade, but we we're getting homeowner calls asking us about carrots that we weren't even familiar with. You know, we we're getting. Questions like, hey, do you know – do you sell Carrick's Woody Eye to anyone that I'd be able to – I'm like, I'm not even – and yeah. then it started – like we started piecing it together. We're like, oh, this I, I understand where <laughs> yeah. this is coming from, and we hadn't received that before on past trials, this one specifically. Um, right. And before we, we – again, before we talk about it, you mentioned classes. Where can Where can our listeners get more information about classes if they're in your area mm-hmm. that they can learn more about this? Yeah, so um, it just – 
log on to mountcubacenter.org um, uh, slash programs, and you can okay. get a look at all of our classes and events. Um, there's a lot of great classes that we offer, both virtually and in person. Um, the class on CareX on February 1st is virtual, um, so you can log in um, and view it. And then there's also an in-person class, which I think is unfortunately sold out okay. um, on CareX in the next uh, couple weeks from then. But there's many other classes. It's definitely worth taking a dive and seeing what those offerings I, are. Mm-hmm. I think that's something I'd be interested in. Yeah. Oh, or yeah, or some of our, our staff might be really interested in, in being a yeah. part of the virtual one. Because like you mentioned, Fran, um, <laughs> there's so many different kinds of, of characters out there and so many that we aren't familiar with. And uh, and for a long time, I and this is in part because we're a wetland nursery, I always just assumed all characters were wetland plants. And uh, – and I knew there was like well, Carrick's Pennsylvanica was an upland, which is a plant, big part of the pine but, barrens. Yeah, but um, I didn't know how many Carrick's <clears throat> were actually upland plants as compared to wetland plants until I went to the trial garden saw and Sam kind of showed me. Oh yeah, these ones. This is a good upland one. This is a good upland one. So what was the breakdown between like wetland Carrick's that you tried versus upland Carrick's that you tried? Honestly, I'm not sure what the, the percentage is, but I would say it's. Probably somewhere in the 50-50 to 60-40 range where maybe 40% were wetland plants. Oh, wow. Maybe 60% were, were up. Um, but it's, it was neat. We had we had a Carex that's native to the sand dunes, um, Carex silicia, so grow, very dry grower, full sun. Not at all what I kind of had originally thought of as, you know, where you would find Carex. I was similar to you, Tom, when I started. I was like, oh, you know, wet shade is where yeah. you find yep. Um, and then, you know, um, in conversations with Bill McAvoy, our state botanist, who was really instrumental in the planning and execution of this trial, it really was so enlightening um, learning about carrots. I mean, in Delaware alone, we have 137 species of carrots. Wow. Um, which is amazing. Um, and if you think about the trial, we only had 70 different accessions. Um, and I think that really represented 65 species. So while that was a big accumulation of plants, it's kind of a not quite a drop in the bucket, but it's not necessarily a comprehensive trial either um but it was it was just fascinating to learn that diversity of both the plants themselves and also those habitats in which they're found now you mentioned the one that was native to sand dunes is that coastal sand dunes or so is it safe to assume that it has a salt tolerance i would assume so yep that was one thing that we saw um especially after hurricane sandy with restorations because so much area was impacted Yes. That there was a slight salinity to soil that wasn't traditionally or historically mm-hmm. there. That restoration started to take place. They had a lot of carex uh, on on the projects, and they all started to die, and they couldn't understand why. And it was the salinity in the soil. And I wasn't familiar with any carex with with uh, salt tolerance. So that's fabulous to hear. I mean, that's a great that's a great tool right there. Yeah, it's an interesting species. I don't know if it's widely cultivated, but I've seen it in, you know, rock outcrops in Maine that, you know, at times are touched by the salt water. So there must be some tolerance. Wow. Wow. And it's for us, for education, this is so invaluable to us because it's this weird loop where when we see restorations and and I want to talk more about the value for homeowners because this is I think where part of the excitement is. But we we grow what we see specified. But it's hard to say what's specified is based on what nurseries grow. <laughs> so you think you're getting feedback from the engineers and the architects, but you're really not. They're basing it on what they see in catalogs. So we need this type of information 
to know what's important, what's out there so we can expand what's available to that trade and even other yeah. growers that are growing it for retail. But it seems that so many homeowners are looking – You know, we talked about with Dr. Peter Grothman. There was an article. They fought the lawn and they won, and people are looking for those lawn replacements, and especially here in the, the temperate northeast. It's, it's not as easy to find those lawn re- – and I think this is like – the hope people are seeing this and saying we we have a shot at this, and I think yeah. that's that's part of the excitement. What are what were some of the surprises of the trial when you when you get into this? There, you know, there's there's a reason why people are excited about it. What were some of the things maybe you didn't expect that were very pleasant surprises as as you got into this one? Yeah, I think a couple of the things were just the incredible adaptability of many of the species in the trial. Um, we we kind of pushed some of their tolerances. We grew, so we grew all 70 of these different carrots in both full sun and, and shade at a 60% shade. Um, and it was just fascinating to see what percentage of plants really did well in both. Um, so those plants really represent to me kind of a common element. Mm-hmm. You can use to, you know, tie plantings together where you might have a shady area next to a full sun area. This can be kind of a common theme that you can use throughout that planting. Um, I think the other piece of it is, um, their tolerance to mowing. Um, we did a mowing trial that last year. There was, there was four years of a regular trial and a single year of mowing. We mowed the plants um, every two weeks starting at the beginning of May and ending in August or late August. And it was really fascinating to see the plant's response. Overwhelmingly, the plants tolerated it. And then it just kind of became, you know, which ones actually look good while they're surviving in this kind of treatment. Um, and we had kind of a short list plants that could be potential mode lawn replacements, although there are many carrot species that would be a really great candidate for a no-mo situation where you may have to only maintain that once a year if that. Um, so it's just, it was really kind of a testament to the tolerance of these plants, the adaptability of these plants, um, what they can go through in a, in a cultivated situation and survive and thrive. One of the, you know, without realizing what, what, you know, when you think of carrots and lawn replacement, you don't necessarily think of mowing. I think some people mm-hmm. are looking to put things in that just right. stay small that they don't have to mow. I right. had never thought about it. My old property backed up to the New Jersey Turnpike. There was a buffer, and then there was a pipelines that were traditional wetlands that they didn't alter. That was all lurid sedge that the wow. pipeline yeah. company would mow, and I didn't realize it was even lurid sedge until they didn't mow it. <laughs> right. <laughs> because it filled in and created like a pretty good lawn. I was like, oh, wow, this is actually – I hadn't thought about this. You know, you, you could have the best of both worlds without without knowing it. Yeah. Maybe it doesn't have the same wildlife value if you're mowing it, but at least it's a right. natural grass and not – not. Right. but it's not something I would have thought of as a, a lawn replacement until they actually mowed it like a lawn. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it's interesting. Like, I mean, a lot of the plants just, um, you know – Again, they tolerated it. Um, Lurid sedge is one of them that did perfectly fine. And when you stop mowing it, it just pops up and often will bloom and seed. Um, it's kind of amazing what's in lawns if you just stop mowing them. And see them. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I, it was. And again, there's plenty of species that you don't have to mow, um, like Carex albicans, Bromoides, Pennsylvanica. There's tons of species that would be a really great candidate for extremely low maintenance plantings like that. Yeah, and what were some other species that were great, like kind of low lying uh, or flopped a little bit, that 
also fit. You mentioned Carex pennsylvanica, uh, Carex albicans. Were there any other species that performed really well in those conditions? Um, as far as the mowing goes, uh, there were several species that were that were really, really good. So Carex pennsylvanica and Carex woodii to me were some of the best. Um, we mentioned Carex woodii before. Um, it's very similar in application of Carex pennsylvanica. Low-growing plant, rhizomatous. Um, Carex woodii is a little bit better at suppressing weeds than Carex pennsylvanica. Mm-hmm. Um, but they handle mowing really well. And really the advantage of these two plants is that they can, they're rhizomatous. They're going to kind of continue to knit together and fill in gaps. Um, and they're low-growing anyways. Um, and a lot of their, their stem structures are below ground, so you're not going to be disturbing that as you're mowing. Um, uh, Carex eburnia was really exciting, um, I think, for certain applications. I think dry shade um, would be a really great place to utilize Carex eburnia. Um, definitely an upland said, very fine texture, very slow growing. Um, it's essentially a clump former that will spread very slowly by rhizomes after it's established. But if you plant enough of them, you could get some good coverage um, and kind of fill in some trouble spots, if you will, um, that might be difficult for traditional um, turf grass lawns. Um, Carex socialis, um, which was, has been getting kind of a lot of buzz in the nursery industry lately, um, that one handled mowing really well and actually improved the plant, um, which kind of made me think that this is maybe a species that responds to disturbance um, potentially. Um, but it actually really, like, it created a very beautiful, dense clump um, that was very difficult for, I would imagine it would be difficult for weeds to kind of invade into. Um, and then Carex jamesii was great, um, did well in the trial as well, just a beautiful dark green clumping sedge. Um, you'd have to plant a lot of them just because you are, they are clump forming plants, um, but they would do a great job as, a, as either a no-mo or a mowed lawn situation. And really all of these species would be perfectly fine as a no-mo as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and just um, for folks who aren't familiar with, like, Pennsylvania sedge, yeah, how tall does that get? And, like, even some of the other ones you mentioned, how tall do those typically get? Um, yeah, um, so we, I think, a little over a foot is kind of their maximum, and that's kind of bloom. Those are where those leaf tips are kind of getting to. For the majority of the year, as that foliage starts to mat down, I would think eight to nine inches is going to be kind yeah. of that that zone where it's going to where it's going to sit. Carex woody eye, very very similar, maybe just a shade taller, um, but that's they're what we categorize as small, if you will, as far yeah. as height. Yeah. Um, generally, we said about a foot or smaller would be um, in that small category. Yeah, yeah, and that's um, good to know because I know a lot of our listeners that. Uh, or one of the more common complaints we get is, oh, I live in a development and we have an HOA and there's restrictions on how tall stuff can get and um, they're challenged to mow. So I'm just, when we're talking about this, I'm thinking, oh, okay, you can let it grow and let it get a little taller. And then if you get a complaint, you have something that you know you can mow, um, but yeah. maybe you're not mowing biweekly or weekly. It's it's monthly or even a little bit longer than that sometimes. Maybe you get away yeah. with mowing twice a summer and um yeah. and you can still kind of have that that ecological component and uh, appease the HOA folks at the same time. I I always yeah. advocate you should just join the HOA and and convert them <laughs> from the inside. The uh, what's That's that right. a splinter cell? Is yeah. that what it's called? <laughs> there you go. Get on the board yourself. Yeah. yeah. Get on the board yourself yeah. and then yeah. Then uh then form teams and and what what was that? There was that show House of Cards, oh, and it's yeah. like you can be the whip trying to get people <laughs> to inside. Were, were there any surprises as far as pollinator diversity um, 
that that came out of this. Like I said, I, I, not saying that they're void of pollinator uh, uses, but it's not something we think about when we think about pollinators. Right. So, so that was a challenge for this trial, and and most of our trials, we are you know looking at that pollinator interaction, and wildlife value of these plants, um, and that was really hard to measure with the carex. We had anecdotal observations where we were seeing insects, um, invertebrates, um, even amphibians living in the carex trial, in particular the shady areas of the uh, the, the trial, um, and you know frogs, toads that we wouldn't see in the trial garden otherwise. Um, they were there because the carex was there providing good cover, good habitat, um, keeping that good humid layer right at the soil level. Um, but again, difficult to measure. With the, the pollinator trials or trials that are interacting with pollinators, we can count pollinators and get some kind of basic metric for measuring their potential value in a home landscape. With the carex, a lot of it's from literature um, and essentially anecdotal observations that we observed in the trial. We know that carex seeds are good for birds, they're good for mammals. Um, we know that the carrots are providing cover. Um, we know that some carex species are host plants. Um, and once we started looking for that, we started finding caterpillars, which was really, really cool. Um, in one case, we found a caterpillar of a yellow college scape moth, um, really interesting species, feeding on the foliage of carex herfolia. Um, and later that season, so we saw the adult moths feeding on the goldenrods within the trial garden. Um, so it was really fascinating to see this species of moth completing its entire life cycle in the trial garden, which is a very artificial space um, and can be replicated quite easily in a home landscape. And it just kind of drove home to me um, that idea that even in a, in a small home landscape, it's artificial, but you're filling it with native plants and have wildlife value. You can be supporting insects and wildlife um, you know, in your home garden. Um, which is really exciting. Uh, and that's, that's, that's something that's hard to talk about sometimes because <clears throat> like we know – especially from talking with Dr. Emil DeVito from the uh, New Jersey Conservation uh, and JCF, was it New Jersey Conservation Foundation? Foundation yeah. See, so, yeah, now I'm doing it. I now do I'm it all the time. Where <laughs> I, screw, I, I, call, I say he works for the completely wrong organization all the time. So. But that we know Carrots, Pennsylvania, and the Pine Barrens is very important habitat for rattlesnake, um, mm. and, and they use that for cover, and that's not what – some people want to hear <laughs> when think about using as a lawn, but that wildlife habitat is very important because you it, you're yes. contributing to the food web. You need to support all of that to keep it balanced and in check. So it's just an important feature to think about for some of these things. Yeah. Of what else does it like? Does it help other than not mowing a lawn? Yeah, it it performs a lot of other functions, and that's why they're important right. and are as native plants for us. Right. We saw we have a very similar situation where there's wildlife interactions that you may not observe in your backyard, but they are critically important in the wild. Um, in one um, specific scenario, um, we grow carrots uh, stricta for the state of Delaware. Um, and the state then plants out the carrot stricta in suitable bog turtle habitat. Bog turtle is an endangered species of turtle in um, eastern North America. Um, and they use Carextricta, basically those um, elevated um, tussocks of Carextricta, to lay their eggs and nest in. Um, they're actually seeing bog turtles nesting in those Carextricta um, that we've grown and um, sent back out into the wild. So it's fascinating that those interactions both exist um, and that there's actual conservation initiatives that can work um, in those kinds of scenarios. And for our listeners that don't know, Carextricta, uh, which is tussock's edge, can take up to six inches of permanent inundation. So when you think of protecting yes. habitat and you have these tussocks that are six inches into the water, you're 
preventing some wildlife from from attacking those eggs. So it is protecting it just based on where it's located. Yeah, and that's that's interesting. I'm look. I'm as we're talking, I'm paging through the report and like to what we're talking about. And um, yeah, you have the picture of the the turtle nest in here. And I've walked around. And we have like that wet meadow behind our farm. I walked around there. There's all kinds of different characters in there, and it's like, man, that looks like a great place to to hide. If I was a <laughs> dog or like a duck or something like that That would be the perfect spot and um yeah no but that's how animals are actually using it that way that's awesome now you you mentioned the the challenge of pollinators were there any other challenges that that came up that you you didn't expect as you were working through the trial uh trial um not too many with the the carrots trial um with a lot with a lot of trials we're uh, you know, disease is a big component. We're talking about flocks or Menarda. Powdery mildew is a major issue. Um, with the ironweed trial, um, rust is a big issue. Uh, with the carex, there was very, very few disease components. Um, there was only a handful of times that the carex were damaged in any way um, from an, a factor outside of us um, just basically neglecting these plants. Um, but uh, one issue that we had was with bulls. Um, especially with some of the more evergreen species of Carex, like Carex uh, cherokeensis. Um, I think really those plants are providing cover for those animals, um, which again, you're gardening to invite wildlife in your home landscape. So you can't get too upset when the wildlife is utilizing your landscape. It's like, no, not that kind of wildlife. You know? <laughs> uh, so it's, it's one of those things that to be aware of, and it may happen, um, but it's basically providing those, um, the bulls with cover. And what they're doing is essentially eating the um, below ground um, portions of that plant. They rarely kill them, however. Um, and often the Carex cherokeensis would bounce back, bounce back the next year and they would be perfectly fine. Um, but it's just something to keep an eye out for. That was really the only like bigger disease or um, pest consideration that we may have had in that trial. What, you know, a big thing for what I just heard you say when you were talking about there weren't very many disease issues. The first thing I thought of, you already had mentioned that it was a 40-60 split between wetland and upland. So not all these plants in the in the trial are in their ideal conditions and typically when plants aren't in their ideal conditions you you really get to see what stresses them and what diseases so if you can oh yeah stress these plants and not have them in their ideal conditions and still not have any notable disease issues that's pretty significant to me that's that's a huge takeaway yeah and there were some species that really like were intolerant of um you know maybe they were shade uh, species you would find in the shade in the wild and when we put them in full sun it just didn't work yeah um one of our top performers like that was like that, uh, Carex plantagenia. Um, when we put it in full sun, it just burned up, and the plants didn't survive the trial. But in shade, it was a fabulous plant for the duration of the five years. Um, so there are plants that maybe weren't as tolerant and others that were incredibly tolerant. And even plants that maybe wouldn't want to be in full sun or maybe would have preferred to have more water when they were grown in full sun, mm-hmm. you might have seen a little bit of yellowing and a little bit of stress, and maybe those plants wouldn't have achieved kind of the, the dimensions that they would in the wild. But they still performed and they still looked pretty good. Um, it was just really amazing to me the adaptability of these plants, even just in you know average cultivation, um, average garden settings. Were there any? I don't want to say losers because when you're talking about native plants, there's no there's no losers because they all have their their purpose. Sure. Um, but was there anything that that didn't perform well in general, like and, even in its ideal. Yeah, and I'd even add is, was there anything that you went in with really high expectations for and it didn't live up to its expectations? 
there we always have our favorites um and i try to <laughs> try to not be biased when we're doing these trials and to just be as objective as possible um carrick's gray eye um is i love that species um it has those beautiful um kind of like mace looking um seed heads that are really spectacular in the landscape we use it extensively in the naturalistic gardens in cuba and it didn't quite get to the top performer level um, but we do try to anytime a, a plant doesn't perform um, in the trials, we try to look at it um, and try to explain maybe why that may have been, and then try to suggest where you could use it, where you could be successful with this plant. As you mentioned, um, this trial was very heavily species weighted. Um, we had 65 species we were looking at, and there's not a bad species. It's just it may not be in the situation that it would prefer um, and where it would be performing best. Um, um, yeah. So um, what we have done is we've tried to um, suggest where you could be growing these plants, where you'd have more success with them. Um, we have an, actually an ex, a downloadable Excel file on our website um, that you can download and sort through based on really whatever traits you want, um, whether that you wanted to sort for plants that would prefer to be growing in dry soils or wet soils, full sun, shade, um, and other things like whether it's an evergreen plant, semi-evergreen, whether it has attractive flowers, really whatever you're looking for, you can generate lists. Um, because again, there's not a bad plant. It's just about using that plant in the correct situation. That's that's an invaluable blueprint. Uh, it's invaluable, especially for, for home gardeners that are looking to incorporate these because you're not dealing with natural conditions or natural soils. And to, to have this right. information, to be able to have confidence, you know, we all want success to, to be able right. to take these plants home. I guess the biggest thing is going to be finding these some of these uh, species, which hopefully this kickstarts these into more nursery production. But to be right. able to know, hey, I really – this would work for me, but it's not the right conditions. But it appears that it can handle that. You know, That's, right. that's something that without these trials, you're going to have a lot of trial and error from homeowners, and you're just right. – you're, you're just offering success to these people. Mm-hmm. Right. So where, where can they you, – you mentioned – that uh, downloadable form is on your website. Do you know exactly the link? I was going to ask where our listeners could find the results for this. Yeah, it's, um, so it's not Cuba Center. It's just mtcubacenter.org slash trials, um, and then you can navigate to the various trials we've completed. The most recent one on that page is Carex, um, and then you scroll down right below the PDF, the downloadable PDF, which is free. Um, uh, it, has, it has the download the Excel sheet link. Um, and uh, in addition to having that free PDF, you can pick up hard copies of the research report when we open up in April, April 1st. So. Yeah. yeah, and if you're having any trouble uh, finding the, the uh, page for the report and all that, just go to any, like, Native Plant Facebook group, and you'll see at least – seven to ten postings <laughs> within the last week there's so one in the native plants healthy plant it's, it's facebook been, group yeah. like i've said it's been shared all over the place from what i've seen so which is exciting it's um yeah, it's great we mentioned in the beginning great. it's a uh, not like the sexy species that you think of but uh but it's got a lot of people excited about it which is awesome were there any cultivars yeah. as part of part of this trial yes i think there's about five um okay and they were all Collections. Um, two of them were from Carex muscingumensis. One of them is a very compact selection that was um, made in uh, Pennsylvania um, called Little Midge. It's just very minute. Um, could be interesting in a container. Might be harder to incorporate into a naturalistic design, but very interesting plant. Um, and then there's another cultivar called Omi, um, which has kind of subtle variegation on the leaf margins. 
Um, it's not as showy as um, you'd see a lot of the non-native Carex, like uh, Carex oceanensis. You have that really strong um, creamy variegation. It's not quite as striking, but it is there. Um, and it's interesting. I think if you are, if that kind of thing appeals to you, there are some native Carex out there that are different um, and might be an interesting um, to incorporate in your garden in limited numbers. Um, but cultivars were definitely not the, the focus of this evaluation. Yeah. What was cool, I, the picture in your report of Little Midge and how if you look over top, it has that like honeycomb pattern. is yeah. really fascinating. I, I was like, ooh, that's a cool one. I want to buy one and put it in a pot and then just look at it all day. <laughs> right. <laughs> all right. No, it's, it's, it's a totally interesting plant. Yeah. Um, it, was, it was one of the weird carrots in the trial that never bloomed. Um, We had one species that didn't bloom just because it kind of failed to thrive and didn't persist throughout the evaluation. But Little Midge was actually one of our top performers, did exceptionally well in both sun and shade, um, came back strong every single year. I just never bloomed. Um, So we were actually starting to wonder, you know, is this actually a Carex? Are we looking at um, a dicanthelium or, or, you know, not a a dicanthelium, but there's some other um, sedges that are Carex adjacent that are very similar. Um, but we did have it confirmed. It is a musking mensis. Um, it's just, it's just a little bit weird. Yeah. Um, but cool. And that brings up a, a, another good question: Is what had um, or which carrots did you find that had like a showier flower? Um, or were there any, or were there very few? Oh, sure. I mean, there's so. Carex flowers, I tend to look at as kind of a nice bonus. Uh, we tend to be looking at these plants for their year-round presence in the garden, mm-hmm. foliage, um, their habit in the garden are all you know things that were really the focus of this trial. Um, but there were a few species that I think would be worth growing just for their flowers. Um, Carex woodii had absolutely spectacular flowers, um, just kind of carpets of straw-colored flowers in late April and early May. Um, Carex pensylvanica, the straight species, has very subtle flowers, but there was a cultivar that was introduced by Brent Horvath of Intrinsic Perennials um, that has very showy flowers at all, as well, um, kind of similar in appearance to Carex woodii. Um, then a couple of the wetland species have really beautiful flowers. The Carex stricta we, min- we mentioned earlier is spectacular when it blooms. And there's a very closely related species um, that did well in the trial as well called Carex hedenii. It just is this beautiful fountain of flowers that kind of looks like, I think I described in the report as like white and cream colored pipe cleaners, like kind of erupting out of this. this Um, Yeah, that sounds amazing. It's really beautiful. Um, And and, and there was one of the the surprises in the trial, um, a plant that's not in cultivation to my knowledge, um, but I think deserves a place in gardens um, is Carex jorii. Um, A lot of our Carex bloom very early in the year in the trial. So it would be late April to early May would be kind of that first flush. A lot of the early blooming species bloom there. We actually had a couple that bloom in kind of mid-March. Carex ebernia and Carex plantaginia bloom really early in the year. And then we have kind of that second flush kind of late May to early June. And then, you know, you kind of think, okay, Carex are kind of done for the year. Um, And I remember coming back from vacation in late July, um, the first year of the the Carex trial, and seeing um, Carex jorii in full, like, glorious bloom. It was absolutely spectacular. So it was very unexpected, unique in the trial, not necessarily unique to the genus, um, but just kind of an unexpected, spectacular bloom. Um, I think in our Carex anatomy section, we have a good picture of what the Carex jorii flowers look like. It's a really spectacular species. I love that you mentioned the diversity of bloom times as far as yeah. blooming early, blooming late. When you, when you think of 
uh, the importance in a landscape that way to be able to stagger those bloom times to help with pollinators. That's that's wonderful. And then to, to play off of that, how about seed heads? Was I was thinking – had yes. Like in my yeah. head, I started thinking about – Carex intumescence, which is bladder sedge, which has yeah. that very descriptive seed pod. I didn't know if that was one that was part of the trial or if you had any other. Yes. No, it was beautiful. And the seed heads to me are, they are some of the most beautiful and interesting structures you can include in a landscape. Um, Carex uh, gray eyes, I mentioned before, is really spectacular. Just this amazing, I don't know, this spiky Sputnik um, spheres that, that kind of are born all over this, this plant that are just they're beautiful, um, and they last for a longer period of time. A lot of the carex flowers are fairly short-lived. Um, it's about a week or so, and they're kind of they've kind of gone through their peak. At least the male flowers, which tend to be the showier part, have kind of finished blooming. Um, and, but those seed heads do persist for a much longer period of time. Um, I think carex typhina and sporosa are really attractive. Those cat, those cattail sedges are really attractive. Um, uh, carex crinita has kind of these pendulous tassels. Of, um, of seeds um, or fruit, and they're beautiful as well. When you start looking at those textures and you start kind of honing in on those details of the seeds, um, especially, you know, those inflated perigenia and the akines of Carex, there is so much beauty there and so much interest, and you can really get lost down the rabbit hole of, of looking at those structures, and and then, then you get into the ID side of it, which, I don't know, I'll... Yeah, it's a lot of fun. I think the, the, the <laughs> are great. So, I, and, I, I want to talk about ID, but I just want to say, if you're a listener and you're not excited about Carex right now, <laughs> I don't know what else we can do because this is, yeah. you know, when you start really looking at it, really looking at it, the beauty of it, we're talking about flowers, seed pods, uh, texture and, and leaf blade and heights and bloom times, there's so much diversity that you don't get with a lot of other plants. Other plants may be prettier at first sight, but it's short-lived. When you think of mm-hmm. the value that you get throughout the whole year, the diversity, and and how much it can mean to your landscape in so many different ways, it's hard not to kind of fall in love with this plant. Now, yeah. you, you did mention um, IDing. How, I would imagine I know how hard – that is to ID, and sometimes it's the length of the the flower stalk that will differentiate two species. How hard was that as part of the, part of the trial? Just knowing that you had the right plant because it's it's, it's so yeah. difficult. It's it is very challenging, and and there are certain carrots that you can look at them and with very um, very few other clues, maybe even besides the foliage, and you know what species you're looking at. Like carrots plantagenia comes to mind. You see those leaves that kind of pleated um, leaf surface, and you're like, yep, that's that species. Um, and then there are others where, um, especially in certain sections, so Carex, the Carex genus is broken up into sections, which are basically groups of very closely related plants. Some of those sections are really difficult to tell those species apart. Um, Carex, uh, the section ovalis is really, like, um, has a reputation for being really difficult to key out to species. And when you're looking at them, um, it often comes down to the perigenia, so that's that kind of um, sheath that encloses those carex seeds, um, which are also known as achenes. But it's kind of looking at the geometry of those, those perigenia and those achenes, um, their shapes, their textures, their colors. Um, that's often what it kind of comes down to. Um, and for myself, which I still consider myself uh, a layman as far as carex go, um, it's challenging um, with some of these carex. And um, Again, we were just so fortunate to have Bill McAvoy, our, the Delaware State Botanist, helping us and um, verifying 
um, some of those sedges. And some of the plants that came in um, and some of the plants in our collection were actually, we ended up having to update their names um, because at certain times um, there were a few that maybe were misidentified or maybe the name was updated. Um, and it's just an invaluable um, resource to have someone like Bill who's, who has that expertise, um, not just in Carex, but really in all sedges. So I just, I, I didn't want our listeners to get overwhelmed. That's hard for people that are even trained to do it, to be able to properly yeah. identify these. So it's, it's don't feel overwhelmed or that it's impossible. It's just, you know, go, buy from reputable places that you, you can trust that are identifying plants correctly and, and you should be good. So, um, yeah, absolutely. Were there any, I was just thinking lifespan. Were there any surprises where you found, that maybe the lifespan of some of these were shorter than what – like did any any of them not last the full five years just because it wasn't their, their lifespan? I'm not sure if it's lifespan or if it was just they weren't in the right situation um, as far as like cultural conditions go. So for Carex Appalachica, for example, very popular landscape mm-hmm. plant in the right situation, but it just didn't prove to be adaptable to what I would consider to be average garden soils. That's a plant that really wants to be in, in areas with better drainage. Um, and it does great in Mount Cuba Center's naturalistic gardens. Um, we have it planted on hillsides where it's beautiful. It mixes beautifully with other shade perennials in particular, but it just kind of slowly faded out through the, the, through the duration of the evaluation. But that's another one we tried to, we tried to illustrate that it's again, not a bad plant just wasn't growing in the right situation or where it wanted to be growing. Um, There were certain plants that um, we'll call it kind of like the donut effect or the bird's nest effect where the center of the plant slowly starts to die out after we started to see that after about three years in the trial. Um, And you kind of get this living ring of growth kind of on the perimeter of that clump. Um, and that's just something that's, it's not necessarily bad, but, um, certain home gardeners at that point may want to, you know, at year three, keep an eye out for it and divide those plants. And then you'll refresh and reinvigorate those plants. Um, and that's one of the advantages to actually having this trial run a little bit longer, not necessarily a bad thing, but again, just something to keep an eye out for, um, as far as short lived, again, difficult to tell whether that was true lifespan or just, um, poor cultural conditions for that species. Some plants are just hard to replicate um, and get in the right spot. Like I'm not thinking of carrots, but I was thinking of bearberry. Um, mm-hmm. Like we oh, sure. see where it grows in the pine barrens. It seems it's all over. But if you even try to replicate that in a nursery setting, the plant is so picky it doesn't necessarily respond the same way. And I didn't yeah. know if some of those conditions like carrots Appalachia have that a similar feel to that. Like you think of uh, Gaultheria percumbens, wintergreen. That's another one that – it's just yeah. like you can grow it in a nursery setting, but then if you try to plant it back out, it never really wants to survive. Like it's very right. picky that way. But naturally, it will come up, you know, in the, the right conditions all the time. But just trying to establish it becomes difficult. So um, I, I don't see that being a problem with carrots. That's the one thing I was thinking about, just transplanting some of those. Like when you started out, how were the plants? Were they started from seed? Were they started from bare root plugs? Like how were – was it a mixture? Yeah. It was a mixture. So some were started from seeds, some were, um, some were bare root, and a lot of them were kind of court to plug size. Um, so they um, – by the time they all went into the trial garden, though, they were roughly at an equal footing of mm-hmm. established material in pots. 
Um, we weren't direct sowing anything like that. Any any seeds that came in were grown in our greenhouse, and then we were um, established plants by the time we went to the garden. I don't know if this is something that the the trial encompasses. I do know that some carrots are easy to do from seed, and some are near in pot, like carrots, Pennsylvania, doesn't really want to produce a viable seed. So a lot of the right. times nursery production is done via divisions uh, where carrots stricta you mm-hmm. can grow from seed. Like, Is there any information based on on that that goes through, or is it they're not there long enough to really – get into that yeah it's not something we got into um very much in the trial um but it is you know it's a valid um aspect of the genus carex they are some of them are challenging from seed others are really straightforward we did see some species that were um you know would seed in pretty readily others that we never saw any seedling recruitment at all um, and maybe we just weren't in the right situation or maybe we needed other um genetically dissimilar individuals of that same species to produce viable seed. Um, it's, it's interesting. Um, and then there was also the question about whether these carrots could hybridize in the trial garden, especially a lot of species that were blooming at the same time. Um, and a lot of the thinking currently is that um, carrots within the same section, so those closely related species can hybridize in theory. There are natural hybrids that occur, um, but in a lot of cases, um, carrots in different sections won't cross. And then you have um, species like Carex jorii and Carex plantaginia that are blooming on very um, ends of those spectrum, the bloom periods. So you're just not going to be blooming at other at similar times as other plants. So you have almost no chance of being cross-pollinated by some, a different species. With, with the results of this and the buzz around it, my prediction is in the next five to ten years, we're going to see an influx of cultivars carrots cultivars <laughs> it's possible it's possible <laughs> i yeah. which which you know tom and i ever since that we talked to you on episode 68 we've kind of changed our views on cultivars like mm-hmm. like that was a very insightful conversation for us and meant a lot to us and actually shifted our perception so we i don't know if we've ever even said thank you for that but i guess we should say thank you for that Oh, sure. Yeah. <laughs> so, no, I think they have a, a valid place in the native plant conversation. It's just, you know, making informed decisions. And, you know, we, we talk about them not really having a place in, in restoration situations, but in a small home landscape, if you can pick one, I'll use flocks for an example. I'm going to pick, I'm going to pick um, Jenna because mm-hmm. that's going to attract the most butterflies of anything, um, any of the flocks that we trialed. So, yeah, there, there's a place for it for sure. Um, and our research is going to continue to try to, um, you know, illustrate the subtleties between um, cultivars and straight species going forward. Now, I know because of the length of the trials, you have trials kind of overlapping at the same time. But when when this ends, especially given the buzz, is it hard to let? Is it hard to walk away and know that this is over now? Like, like I would have a hard time with that. Yeah, and so so a little bit of both. Like, there's part part of you that like is I'm definitely going to miss having the carrots there. They've been there as long as I've been here. Um, and, um, but at the same time, I'm excited for the next thing. Um, I'm really like, we're kind of gearing up for the ironweed trial now, which will complete mm-hmm. we'll finishing up next year. Um, and we're also gearing up for what's going to replace Carex in the shade. Um, so what's coming in next in the spring, we're going to be replacing it with ferns, um, which will not be a generous specific trial, but really just kind of a larger group, um, many different genera. And we're going to be doing a smaller evaluation on Tiarella as well. But the carrots aren't going away um, permanently. Um, we're going to be keeping those 16 top performers in the trial garden. So this next spring, you can come with your research report. And you can see those plants in person. Awesome. Uh, we're going to be kind of in our top performer bed on the yep. west side of the garden. 
with with the success of Carrick's, does it change your view, your approach to the trial gardens in the future as far as what you look at at trialing? Um, I think so. I think like ferns are kind of a logical next step for me, and not that they're similar plants. Um, um, you know, botanically speaking, but I think they fill a similar landscape niche. Um, they're kind of an underrepresented and maybe misunderstood group of plants. Uh, and there's a lot of diversity out there as well. Um, well, we won't be testing them in full sun. We will be testing quite a lot of species, a bunch of cultivars, and just trying to untangle some of the mystery around ferns um, for, for homeowners, um, for home gardeners. Um, and I'm really excited just from a personal level I am far from a fern expert, but I'm really excited to learn, which is one of the really great things about the trials in general is I get to learn every day. So that's a lot of fun. Um, And that's one of the reasons I'm so, you know, I'm so excited about the upcoming fern trial in particular. I'm really jealous, actually, because not only do you get to learn every day, sometimes the best learning is dealing with the same things every day. So, you know, repetition is always a great key for, for memorization. So it's... It's sure. it's a nice way to so when I have Carrick's questions I know who I'm I'm calling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I was excited to hear you guys were doing ferns as well, um, just because there's a lot of really cool ferns out there that and, and there's plenty that are in the market already, but there's plenty that aren't. And it's easy to be on a hike and just say, oh, there's ferns over there, but then. Knowing what kinds of ferns, I, it's just it opens up this whole new world, and you just see. I don't want to say ferns tend like to grow monocles, but some of them do. Like they'll, you'll just see a carpet of ferns, and then as you sure. get a little closer, you say, "Well, this these ferns are different than the, this is sensitive fern over here, and this is hay-scented fern over here, and they this oh this is getting a little bit more sun, and that's why these ones grow here." Versus, I've always been fascinated with ferns and haven't had a chance to dive in, so I'm yeah. also a little jealous that you're getting to yeah. Do that. Uh, well, come on over. It'll be yeah, in the oh, yeah. next spring. All right. Awesome. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. That's a date. We'll, we will be there. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um, oh, what was I going to say? I just lost my train of thought. Dang I, it. You you got I, I'm not a mind reader. Come on. Got, so, come on. I'm sending the, those. <laughs> well, the other thing you mentioned was the, the Tiarella, which is yeah. another species we don't grow at our nursery, but uh, a lot of other native plant or native plant adjacent nurseries do. And, yeah. um, and I would guess not being that familiar with it, I wasn't familiar that there was that many different species of it or even that many different cultivars of it. Um, so right. that's another interesting thing you guys are doing. Yeah, it, it's going to be fun. Um, I, I love Tiarella. They're a, big, they're a staple in the gardens here at Mount Cuba Center. Um, we're going to have two uh, recognized species in the trial and I believe 17 or 18 different cultivars. Wow. Um, and again, that was another thing that it was surprising when we started doing the research and started seeing, you know, what, what amount of plants can we accumulate? What kind of footprint is it going to take in the trial garden? I mean, it was surprising when we came up with 20 different cultivars and species of Tiarella that we could source today. Yeah. Uh, it's, wow. it's amazing. Well, I think a lot of that, like, I, I think it's Steve Castorani and Dale mm-hmm. Hendricks for a lot yeah. of those yeah. and uh, thankful that they've, they've made that a more commonplace, uh, the folks, um, mm-hmm. From North Creek Nursery, I can't remember Dale's company now. Um, what the oh, name yeah. company is now, but they, you know, back in the day, you would just see Tiarella cordifolia, and some of those cultivars actually brought some hype to that plant and got more notice as far as the the native varieties, uh, other than the cultivars. So I'm really thankful that they did the work on that. Same with Eucra. 
uh, they, they they were really pioneering in, in getting the the name of those plants out and getting them seen to a wider public. Yeah, and I was gonna I was gonna say that. Um, so I it was actually after our last conversation, I went and started getting some cultivars of Tiarella and putting in my home garden, and um, yeah. and it really just changed the the look of our garden to a place where my wife was like, "This looks messy." To okay, you're starting to make it look complete, and. Um, and then we went to Mount Cuba Center, and she saw the TRL, but more so the heuchera that was blooming. And she's right. like, oh, I love this plant. This plant's – well, you were just telling me that you didn't like it home the other day. And you guys just do a much better job of presenting that and mixing it with uh, with complementary plants as well. So I, I did remember what I wanted to ask earlier. So when, oh, the, sure. <laughs> the re- when the results come out, is there – other than like an unveiling and the report that people can access, is what else happens with the results of this? Does anyone take those results and, and do more research with it? Have you ever seen like people using that to to take it further, or is it just it's out there for you to learn from and and elaborate on? Yeah, it's out there as a, as a free resource. Again, just trying to help people make good informed decisions, both homeowners, nursery people. Um, I would love to see expanded upon it and um, in the future, um, but it's really just about getting the information out there. Um, as soon as we release it, um, you know, uh, we're, we're just trying to spread the word. I'm giving talks, um, coming on uh, podcasts and all that good stuff. Um, just getting the word out there, um, helping people, you know, again, get this information um, into the hands of people who are going to be using it. I, I, I can't express enough how important of a resource Mount Cuba Center is. Everyone that I've ever met that works there has has been some of the most knowledgeable and passionate people uh, that I've met. And the information and knowledge that comes out of Mount Cuba Center is I, – I don't know where we'd be as, as far as a native plant community without it. Uh, so it's really invaluable. I, I just hope everyone realizes that and celebrates that. Um, and this is just one of the wonderful things that the Mount Cuba Center does. And this one is, it, I it, it's the most exciting for me just because of how excited everyone else is getting about it. Um, yeah. Did yeah. like did you see like a weird inflow? Like as soon as the information come out, did you notice like a a, a buzz immediately about it? Yeah, I mean, we just, just purely from like an engagement, even just on social media, it just kind of was, it was kind of amazing um, how many people were excited, commenting, sharing um, requests for um, you know, various talks and things started rolling in and people were just, there's just excitement. I think also having those classes that are, that'll be offered um, in the coming weeks also just kind of continues that conversation and gives people another chance to engage um, with this trial. Um, so yeah, it's it's just been it's been a lot of fun. And again, like seeing the excitement has just been exciting for me. I'm getting excited about carousel. <laughs> I've always liked them. I think they're great plants. Um, and my goal was if I can inspire someone to grow one carrots in their home garden, mm-hmm. we'll we will have done our job. And it seems like we're we're getting there for sure. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> uh, just a, a quick aside: we mentioned Dale Hendricks. His company is uh, Greenlight Plants LLC. Th- thank you. So. Thank you. Um, is, are there any talks that you have coming up that you can promote yet that, that people can come hear you talk more about this? Yeah, I think other than the um, other than a couple of podcasts um, that are out there um, and uh, the classes, there's a couple a little bit farther out. Um, but, yeah, okay. I would say 
stay tuned uh, to Mount Cuba's website for any offerings for, for future engagement. Awesome. So I think before we ask our final question, did you have any more questions? No, I'm for good, Fran. I, right. I, I'm really excited for this last question. <laughs> <laughs> so this is not too many guests get this because we don't get too many return guests, but it's redemption time. If you want to change, we always ask what your favorite native plant is. <laughs> Last time oh you gosh. mentioned Amsonia and Baptisia as two of your favorites, yeah. you just did this exciting Carex trial. Do you want to change yeah. your answer? Oh my gosh! <laughs> Hardest question. Oh, this is this is the most unfair question for, <laughs> for someone who's into into plants. And we we ask this in interviews, and it's always like. It's tough. I'm like, here's the hardest question of the day. Um, and it's a sim- it's a simple question, but it's it depends. It's like asking someone what their favorite song is. It can change yeah. on your mood, and it's it's or what your experiences have been lately. So it's it's yeah. interesting to see if you've changed uh, or, yeah. or or just today if you have a different native uh, favorite plant. Yeah, I so I I still love Baptisians and Amsonia. I love Carex. Um, I really. Um, Lately, have been getting really into Silphium. Um, just yeah. at home, I think that's a great genus um, and some really cool underappreciated species out there. Uh, I just, yeah, I don't know, robust plants that have staying power. You're, you don't have to do much for them, for them to be giving back to you, both ornamentally and to wildlife in your home landscape. Those are the plants that just tick all the boxes for me. Um, but yeah, it's changed a little bit, but it's just maybe just gotten more diverse. I don't know if I could ever narrow it down to a single species. <laughs> well, you, the, the beautiful part about that question is that there's no no wrong answer. Like there aren't right. any wrong. Every answer is right answer. So no, that's it's wonderful choices, and it's 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 hard, especially when you get you know you get excited, especially when you're learning something new about plants that you already knew, and and you kind of fall in love with them all over again. And it's it's hard not right. to be passionate about something when you're you're learning all of its wonderful attributes and what it offers to the world and it's yeah. it's uh i don't know i part of me would be disappointed if you kept the same plant uh, <laughs> I, I should say that um another group that i have been really excited about lately is pycnanthemum um mm-hmm. i think that they are such a cool it's such a cool genus and just a little plug we are currently planning a pycnanthemum trial um, which will be following the Iron Week trial. This it will be planted, I think, in October. Um, so I'm very, very excited about that. Like, yeah, that's you know what I'm very excited about that one. And there, there's definitely a a buzz prior just for deer um, uh, deer resistance. Yeah. There's definitely a buzz yeah. about that. But I've I've recently fallen in love with that plant mm-hmm. uh, with how yeah. versatile it is, and it's. I'm excited oh, about that one. Value. Oh yeah, like yep. it's just unbelievable. Like yeah, it's it's incredible. Yeah, I mean, I mean, talk about a plant that's no. just hitting a home run. It's it's got right. so much. So so I'm I'm curious about that too. You're smiling. Yeah. What, what it's because uh, I just started think how many how many phone calls and emails and. Facebook comments are we going to get that we didn't say enough common names after Patel names <laughs> oh, <this week>. sorry. <laughs> <laughs> No, it's it's no, but, it's, but, but here's, we actually here's, have a good thing to say here. Because you could, you don't have to write to us about it. You can go and go online and go to the Mount Cuba Center and get this or their website, get this report, and it has all the translations there. So actually, yeah. what I do, what I was doing really, and just pull this up as you're listening. I'm, of course, I'm telling you this at the end. <laughs> but yeah, if you if you had, were frustrated that we were doing that a lot and not saying the common names, 
go pull up the trial. And then as we're talking about stuff, just flip to the different pages. And it's like, you'll see what we're talking about. And you'll see the pictures that we're, we're referencing the stories Sam's telling. You'll be able to, to kind of comprehend it a little bit better. But, but here's a perfect example why it was important for us to use botanical names, especially mm-hmm. with Carrix. Because you think of Carrix cornata, which is broom sedge. Mm-hmm. But broom sedge is also Andropogon virginicus. So when you're thinking common names, they overlap genuses sometimes and and different parts of the country or different things so if you for us to really adequately discuss these plants so that you would understand would be the botanical name cross-reference we we want you to go download this report Mm -hmm. look at the spreadsheet cross-references get to know this become as excited become as excited about this as we are because this is there's a reason for this and it's it's important and and this is going to there's going to be a change in the landscape Quite figuratively yeah. speaking. So, all right, this is this has been awesome. This is where we we're we're hoping we can do this with you every year. Like we we oh, get. I would, I would love that. Yeah, it's I. Always, it's always a lot of fun. I I would love that too because here we are. It's it's still winter, but we're already thinking about spring and we're getting excited. And now I can't wait. Now I'm like, oh, it's January still. Like I want it to be March and April. Let's get <laughs> let's let's get going. But this is the, the, the point in the show where we do final thoughts and we always hand the floor over to you first and you can use the time to summarize, promote something, uh, mention something we didn't mention. But however you want to use it, it's it's all yours. Okay. Yeah. Well, again, thank you both so much for having me. It's it's really is a pleasure to be here. Um, yeah, I would just say like um, check out our future programs offerings. Check out the research report. Check out that that Excel file um, that you can download and sort. I think that would be really useful for a home home gardener. Just generating lists for plants that might work for your home landscape. Um, in addition, on our website, we have detailed descriptions of every single of of all the seventy carrots that we evaluated. We have descriptions for all of them, including photos. Um, so that's also a resource to go through. And again, because it wasn't a top performer in the trial, that just means it means it wasn't adaptable or well-suited to average garden conditions. But there's not a bad carrots out there. There really is a carrots for every single garden. Um, and come see them this spring. Um, they'll be, the top performers will still be in the garden. We open up April 1st. Um, and stay tuned for the, the fern trial and the Tirella trial that are going in in late April, or probably they'll be in the ground by late April. They'll be going in the middle of the month. Um, and there's a lot of upcoming things. Um, Vernonia is up next. That research report will be out next spring. And we'll be following that with um, Mountain Men, which, again, very, very excited about. But thank you so much again for having us. It's been a lot of fun. Oh, we, we appreciate it. And Tom and I will be there this spring. We've, yes. We yes. made a commitment. Yes. We're we're doing. It. Don't know what date yet, but we're doing it. <laughs> yeah, we'll be live on location. That's what they oh. say on the news, right? Yeah, yeah live so. on location. Yeah. Do you want to go? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. we're we we want to do a little live recording. We're 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 gonna try some experimentation. Yeah. I guess so. yeah. Podcasts are never really live. They can be, but you can do. It's... We could do a live show, but we <laughs> but we're gonna record on location. Yeah, we're gonna yeah. We want to walk around and kind of see some stuff and actually record while we're doing it and. Um, it's awesome. really going to test our worth as uh, how many words we know to <laughs> yeah. describe things. But there's some cool <laughs> technology yes. coming out that we're just waiting for it to hit. And also sure. expensive technology yeah. for Amazon. Oh, okay. But no, yeah, we got to talk about that more. But okay. my final thought was years ago, I listened to Cloudy West, who was also on the podcast uh, a while ago, um, give a presentation and uh, and just explain the importance of all the different layers when you're you're doing like an eco 
centric garden and like how you need that ground. You don't want just want mulch. You need that green mulch almost in a way. You want that plant plant layer that's like zero inches to twelve inches. Something there that's like works as a weed suppressor. That's how it happens yeah. in in nature. And Carrick's Pennsylvania has kind of been the champion for most people in the garden. It was for me because you think yeah. of like all the other characters I knew were wetland characters and I tried someone gave me some characters Appalachia and it didn't really work that great for me um so it's nice to have like some other places to turn that are like oh just for my home garden oh I can try this I can try this um and I'm excited about that because it's such an important layer and you tie in like the TRL and the Heuchera uh it just creates that aesthetic that personally I'm trying to go for and I think a lot of our listeners are trying to go for as well yeah I yeah I think for me, what I'm most excited about is just um, the shift in acknowledgement or acceptance of native plants. I think had you done this Carex trial 15 years ago, I, I I don't want to say it would have fell on deaf ears, but I don't know that it would have gotten yeah. the same buzz because there wasn't the same kind of awareness uh, in today's culture to, right. to do more for the ecosystem and the food chain and – I'm happy that this is perfect timing, that this is hitting at a time where people are craving this type of information and looking for these solutions. And it's solving a real issue for people that want to do more for our ecosystem. And the timing couldn't be better. And and I feel that the results of this are going to take that awareness and level to another level, which is even more exciting. Um, and I can't wait to see I, – I, I am sure at some point there will be a Margaret Roach – New York Times article mm-hmm. about championing Carrick's yeah. and, and because of these trials is going to br- bring a new awareness to so many new people. Um, and and hopefully this is something that becomes mainstream and you mm-hmm. see Carrick's lawns yeah. or, or Carrick's incorporated yeah. more into landscapes. And it's nice that we're at a time where it can be accepted and digested in a way that it needs to be. And I can't thank yeah. you more for this. I, this is – we were excited to come into this. I'm even more excited coming out of it, and that's what you want. <laughs> And I, I hope our listeners walk away with that same excitement, and we're we're happy to be able to provide everyone with a little bit more information. And mm-hmm. we couldn't do it without you, Sam. Thank you, thank you so much. No, it's, it's our pleasure, um, absolutely. Awesome. I think that's I think that's about yeah. wraps it up. Yeah. So that's going to wrap us up for today. Thank you for listening to Native Plants Healthy Planet presented by Pinelands Nursery. Uh, if you want more information on Mount Cuba Center, it is – oh, I had it pulled up here, and now I lost it, didn't I? It's mtcubacenter.org, yeah, MT standing for Mount. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then there's the section on programs that Sam mentioned before. If you go there, it will show some of the upcoming classes, which they don't just have character classes. They have all kinds of stuff, and they even have yeah. – I was looking through. They have like a backlog of some of the stuff they've had before where you can watch it virtually and um, – like the see one on instant rain gardens and fabulous flocks and eco gardening, plain and simple. There's all kinds of different stuff through a variety of really great educators yeah. that you can check out if, there. And if you're in the area, please go visit because you mm-hmm. have the best of both worlds. You can see a little bit more of a formal garden anywhere to a natural area and, and experience it all. I would, and really I would even soul. take it a step further and say this is a place you should put as like a destination to visit on your at some point. Should I know, be a bucket list. And I know we've had, uh, I'm thinking of people from Tennessee who said, oh, I have it on my list. I'm going to make a trip specifically to go here. So, And there's a lot of stuff that you can visit Philadelphia, see the 
history. Oh, yeah. Go down to Mount Cuba. Go to the Jersey Shore. We got a lot to offer in this neck of the woods. <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. So, a little bit. A little bit. <laughs> so, so, all right. So, thank you, everyone, for listening to Native Plants Healthy Planet presented by Pylons Nursery. We, As always, we're going to say thank you to the egocentric plastic men for contributing our theme music to our Meet Our Guest episodes. Make sure you stream or buy their uh, music wherever you consume your music. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Pineland Nursery, at Facebook at Pinelands Nursery NJ, Instagram, Instagram at Native Plants Healthy or Native Plants underscore Healthy Planet, or at Pinelands Nursery. And you can check us out also at YouTube at Pinelands Nursery. Uh, don't forget about the question and comment line. Call us at two one five three four six six one eight nine. I will repeat that two one five three four six six one eight nine. Ask a question or leave a comment. We'll try to play it on a future episode of The Buzz and answer it to the best of our ability. And, uh, man, the Native Plants Healthy Planet Facebook group has exploded again. The amount of new uh, members and the conversations, you know, like anything, it kind of ebbs and flows, and it's it's cresting right now. So uh, make sure you join the group and be part of the conversation. I'm sure this episode is going to be a part of that conversation. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's, I know it already has been because you can find the report there. So. Yes. Um, you can buy Native Plants Healthy Planet merch by going to our website, www.nativeplantshealthyplanet.com. We have a little banner at the top that will take you to our Teespring store, and uh, and there's all kinds of cool designs over there, up there. We were wearing them at our trade show we were. two weeks we'll be ago. Wearing them we'll next be wearing week. them at our trade shows that we're going to next week. Um, they're also very comfortable, yes, which, I, which I really like about a shirt because there's nothing worse than wearing an itchy <laughs> shirt all day. I agree. But um, – Especially to a trade show. Yeah, So, and we don't keep any of the, the profits from that. They all go to organizations that we, as we go through this, say, hey, we'd love to support this group or that group. So uh, that's where that money goes. Um, you can listen to Native Plants Healthy Planet at our website, www.nativeplantshealthyplanet.com, but you're probably going to listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you're listening now. You know where to find us. Um when you're there, if you can do us a big favor, leave us a five-star review, hit subscribe. It goes a long, long way uh, for us. And if you do a little write-up with those five-star reviews, I'll give you a plug on our listener shout-out section of our Buzz episode. So uh, with that, thank you, everyone. I'm Tom. And I am France. Sam, again, thank you. I can't thank you enough for being a part of this. It's always a pleasure. We're looking forward to this becoming a reoccurring uh, theme and uh, I want to thank everyone again for joining in next week we have our buzz episode so make sure you tune in and until then keep it native thank you for listening to the native plants healthy planet podcast presented by Pinelands Nursery Remember to like, share, follow, and comment.